I'm turning today to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4 and verse 1. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 1. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. Well, dear friends, this is uh, New Year's Day. We come to a new year, and naturally I was thinking of a particular topic that would suit a special address on New Year's Day. And then I realized, of course, that we had come to chapter 4 in the Gospel of Mark, and what could possibly be more appropriate for a New Year's study than the parable of the sower. So proceed this morning with our series of studies in the Gospel of Mark and the parable of the sower. So here is Christ forced to take to a ship because of the size of the multitude teaching from the water and the multitude gathered on the land. There went out, behold, see, imagine, visualize. There went out a sower to sow. Well, first of all, I'd like to make some preliminary thoughts to introduce the subject. And if we look down to verse 11, you'll find, He said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, the unconverted, the unsaved, all these things are done in parables. Well, why? That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Or, as it says in the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord said just a a little more, lest they should believe and be saved. Why was the Lord adopting parables to obscure the message from the unconverted, the message of salvation, lest they should believe it and be saved? That's to misunderstand the passage the words. No, the problem is on the hearer's side. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Parables are employed, yes, to obscure to some extent, because these people, these unbelievers, and this is really all of us, as we are by nature, before God shakes us and works in our hearts, we are the people who fear the possibility of believing and being converted. We are the people 
who are afraid of this life-transforming experience called conversion. We are the people who fear the forgiveness of sin. So, instead of the way of salvation being declared plainly, in perhaps a didactic fashion or manner, and clearly, there is a degree of obscurity. And the people who do not want to hear and won't hear will not come through that degree of obscurity. They are impatient, they are resistant, they will not listen. That's the reasoning. Salvation, turning to God and finding him, is something that has to be done with great sincerity. There has to be genuine repentance. There has to be a longing and a desire for salvation. But by nature, as we are, we don't have that desire. We don't want that. We're committed to our own lives and our own way. We think this world is, on the whole, wonderful. We're going to make our way in it. We're going to make it work for us. We're going to be happy in it. We are going to be free to do what we like, to sin as we like. We don't want to be tied to the standards of God. We recoil from that. And so we will not hear and grasp this message. The degree of difficulty presented by a parable will completely put us off. And there are other reasons why the Lord used parables too. He was protecting his timetable. He had come to spend approximately three years teaching, teaching his disciples, proclaiming a way of repentance and forgiveness. But at the end of that three years, he was going to Calvary's cross, And on that cross he would be the representative of all those who in their lifetime would be brought to repentance and faith in him. He would bear away the eternal weight of punishment due to them for their sin. And God the Father would lay upon him as he hung and suffered on Calvary an invisible punishment, the punishment due to all those who he would save, and he would bear it away. That great day, that great accomplishment, that terrible and yet wonderful act, the atoning death of Christ, was what he'd ultimately come for, to live a life of perfect righteousness, and then to suffer and to die to make an atonement on Calvary's cross. And if the message of salvation had been preached in the meantime as openly and plainly as it possibly could be, there would be universal revulsion. There would be fierce opposition and attacks. There were attacks upon Christ. But they would grow and mount and against the disciples but to protect the program of the Lord, 
the gospel was preached very largely through analogies, parables, to soften the edge of it, to preserve Christ and the disciples until the day of his atoning death. However, parables have an ongoing value because they are, when explained, tremendous illustrations of the way of salvation. And this leads quickly to another introductory point. And uh, we read down here in verse uh, 10, when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve, the twelve disciples he had called, and an unknown number of others who followed him most closely, they asked the meaning of the parable. And Christ said the words that we've already quoted. But down in verse 13 he adds, And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? Those are very significant words. Don't you understand this parable? He's about to explain it to them. In other words, if you understand this parable and I give to you a pattern of interpretation and I show you how they work, they're very simple really, and I show you the picture and the application, learn my method of interpretation of this parable and you will have the method of interpretation for all parables. That's implicit in his words. He said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? They answer, all of them, to the same approach of interpretation. And the Lord will give a demonstration with the parable of the sower. There's something else, too, to be learned from these words. And this is very valuable. In the preceding verse, verse 12, the last portion of the verse, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. That's the point of the parables. There is salvation and grace in all the parables. Christ speaks of all the parables that he teaches and he says they are given to convey and to partially obscure the message of conversion and forgiveness. That's what they're about. And so we have the principle that there is grace in all the parables. Oh, but are not some of them purely moral in their teaching? You often hear it said, the parable of the Good Samaritan will be be the person who helps another in distress. It has an ethical message, and that is all. No, because all the parables are also to do with forgiveness and conversion. Those are the words of Christ. And if you understand this one, you will understand them all. And so we learn 
that there is a salvation message, a message of grace, an illustration of the way of conversion and forgiveness in all the parables. They are illustrations, and they're used by that, in that way, by preachers down the centuries. So with that in mind, we'll look at the sower and the seed. Here's the sower. I wish I had time just to speak about the sower. It's quite a lowly occupation. He's a farmer, but he's sowing. He's got a a bag, or in those days, more likely a large basket full of seed. He is very um, indiscriminate in the sowing of the seed. And so as he scatters widely, some falls where if he were more economical, he wouldn't bother. Some falls on the pathway. No point in sowing there. The seed will never take root. Some seed falls on uh, ground which is... uh, very little soil there's an outcrop of rock coming up there but he throws it everywhere he's very free with the seed that was the way in olden times and you went forth it took labour and effort of course the sower didn't have much to do with uh, the whole scene the outcome He didn't manufacture the seed. He didn't design it. He didn't make it. That's something absolutely out of his hands. The preacher doesn't invent the message of salvation. He hasn't created it. It's all given to him. He's a most unoriginal person. He may try to find different ways of expressing it, to catch interest and to summon attention. But the essential message, he is a most unoriginal man. It's all given to him in the scripture, the way of salvation revealed through Christ. He's a lowly creature, the preacher, really, like the sower. He's sowing a given article. And his indiscriminate, profligate sowing of the seed illustrates the universal tender of salvation, the free offer of the gospel. Here is Christ setting the example. He is the original sower, and his disciples followed him, and we follow them. But Christ was the first. His is the example. Some people say, you can't preach the gospel indiscriminately. Does not your doctrine tell you that only those will respond in whose heart there is a movement of the Spirit? Should we not preach the gospel only to people who are uh, earnest seekers with enlightened hearts? No, friends. The gospel is to be preached indiscriminately, even wastefully, if you like, to all. 
The old-fashioned term for the free offer of the gospel is the universal tender of salvation. And here you see it in the parable of the sower, where Christ, who speaks of himself first, and then all his followers, depicts himself as a sower spreading the seed on the rocks, on the pathway, among the thorns, as well as the good ground. In the East, in those days, we are told their way was to spread the seed first and then to plough the ground, to plough it in. They worked that way round. So this is the beginning. The effort to spread the seed. It's a New Year's Day, friends. We're not into the parable yet. But how many people here may receive a call from God to that lowly and yet glorious occupation of being a sower, a preacher of the word, of the gospel, a sower of the seed. Yes, the sower was a lowly individual. He wasn't special. He wasn't clad in glorious robes, carried about in a chair, surrounded by articles made of gold, wearing expensive rings, and all that sheer blasphemous nonsense. He was simply a preacher of the given word of God, the way of salvation. May there be those who are called in this last age of the world, surely, to preach the gospel of redeeming grace and to make a free offer as widely as possible. And by the way, if the Lord should uproot you and move you to another place, to another town, to another locality, in his will, don't go to a church, even if it's a church where there are believers which doesn't preach the gospel frequently, constantly. That's the highest calling, to be a sow of the seed. Oh, but some preachers will say, don't I sow the seed whenever I expound the word? Well, the context here is conversion and forgiveness of sin. It is the sowing of the seed is about the sowing of gospel seed. That portion of the preaching which appeals to souls, which persuades sinners to come to Christ, that presents Christ and his redeeming love and the work of Calvary. God is calling sowers of the seed who will be first and foremost preachers of the word of salvation. Let's come into it. Verse 4, here are the categories of listener, of hearer. It came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And if we go down to verse 15, you have the Lord's own application. And these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown, 
But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. The heart is where it is sown. It was sown in the heart. Seed fell on the hardened pathway where everybody passed. The traffic of many people had hardened that pathway down. That soil, hard as it is, represents the heart of hearers. The seed was sown there. It did, to some very limited extent, embed itself in that hardened surface. But much of the seed was exposed. The hardened heart. How many people here will have hardened hearts? We speak about Christ. We speak about eternity. We speak about his amazing love that brought him from heaven to earth to die on Calvary, to take the punishment of sin for those who turn to him. We speak of these things, and it means nothing. Not interested. Not the slightest bit interested. The heart is hard and calloused over. I don't listen to it. I had a young man in the service a few weeks ago, sitting quite near the front in the evening gospel service. He did not listen for one second. I couldn't help noticing him. I wasn't looking at him. His eyes were everywhere. He seemed to be an intelligent-looking chap, I suppose in his early 30s. Wasn't the slightest bit interested, no intention of listening at all. He'd made up his mind. He wanted this world and his own life. He didn't want anything of God. And after about ten minutes, his patience ran out and he could not endure sitting still and he got up and slipped out. The hardened heart. But there are others who stay the whole service through and they haven't heard a word. They've been thinking of all sorts of things. Haven't heard a thing. I was reading the testimony of a young man, how he came to Christ a while ago. And he was in his uh, early 20s. He grew up in a Christian home. He went to church from childhood to please his parents. He was bored stiff. He never listened. He, talk, he paid no attention. Actually, just because his parents wanted him to go, he dragged himself out to go with them in the car to a conference. He wasn't the slightest bit interested in any of it. Halfway through the conference, he slipped out of the church just to get some air, went out to the porch. It was in a provincial town. And there he ran into another person who was taking some air outside just for a few minutes' relief. 
And the other person was an older man, an earnest believer. What are you doing out here, he said. And uh, the young man said, to, to be honest, I'm not the slightest bit interested. So this older man spoke to him and challenged him. And suddenly, something happened in this young man's mind which had never happened in all the years and the hours of listening to a preacher in the pulpit. He was touched by something that was said to him. And he realized he had great spiritual need and he should listen. And he went back in for the last session and he hung on every word. And in that moment, he'd been changed. Every word that was spoken was vital to him. And he followed it as though he'd never heard any of this before. That's what happens when God is at work in the heart. Are you like the hearer with the hardened pathway heart? You pay attention to the traffic that's going by the chatter of this world, all its claims and ideas. It's what excites you, what thrills you, what interests you. Nothing to do with God. May it be this new year, this year, something happens to you. And suddenly you realize everything in life depends upon this. You must have forgiveness of sin you must have a new life. Your soul must be brought to life. You must come into touch with the living God. You must be put on the pathway to eternal life. And suddenly a desperate need enters in. Oh, friends, if you feel as hard as hard and as cold and uninterested as you could possibly be, just pray to God that he'll deal with you and waken you up. You're in eternal danger. You're en route to eternal judgment and punishment. Your life will be a complete waste. No spiritual life. No spiritual experience. The hardened pathway hearer. We pray for you that something will happen for you. And verse 5 Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, just a thin film, and immediately it sprang up because having no depth of earth, well, it was moist, fertile. The seedlings sprang up, but there was no root. The sun came up. And it was scorched and withered and died. Sometimes people have held campaigns. And perhaps unwisely, they've preached the gospel and they've said to people, now put up your hands if you want to receive Christ. Walk to the front. And some people have been very effective with this. And hundreds of people 
have walked to the front of great meetings. Very, very few of them have kept it up. What happened? They were rocky ground hearers. People who were ready to listen for something good. Something that was in their interests. Oh, if I listen to this message and come to God, I shall be happy. And I shall go to heaven. And God will help me. God will help me pass my exams. God will help me get a good career. God will help me to get a good marriage. That's all good. They never really repented of sin. They were never really seeking a new life. To live for God. To be made holy. To be changed. They didn't want the Lord. They just wanted to be happy. And successful. And heaven. That's not the same. And as soon as the first tests came. Somebody curled the lip and said with scorn, You did what? You received Christ? You became a Christian? What a fool you are! Ha! I'm going to be disliked for this. I'm going to be laughed at for this by some people. I might lose some friends for this. They couldn't take that. As soon as the sun came up, they withered away and stopped attending because they were after something for themselves. Not repentance, forgiveness, and the Lord. That's the picture of the stony ground hearer. And verse 7 Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. They did better. The seed germinated. Some root was put down, some growth, but the thorns choked it off. What are the thorns? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ interprets it down in verse 8. These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, covetousness, things, cars, splendid possessions, and the lusts of other things, fame, notice, flattery, Entering in, choke the word. You can't live for this world and for the Lord at the same time. And it was brought to an end. And verse 8, other seed fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased. Good ground. Receptive hearts. People who, well, they've become weary and heavy laden. 
seen through the false promises of this world and the shallowness of its entertainment and its ideas, seen their own need of forgiveness and inner corruption and come to Christ for new life. These are they, verse 20, which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit. Well, three categories of hearer. The hardened, unresponsive heart. The eager for something good for myself heart that will respond, but it's not real conversion. And the person who feels a need desires conversion but doesn't turn away from the old life and the world and yield wholly to Christ. Well, are these different types of hearer represented among us? May this new year bring you to the Lord wholeheartedly in true desire and true repentance and yielding to him. But a word for us all as believers. While this parable speaks first and foremost to the state of unbelievers and levels of listening and hearing, it applies to us too as believers. What can a believer, somebody who's truly converted, resemble in any way the hardened heart of the wayside hearer where the gospel can't take root in that heart because like a pathway it's hard and the devil knows that he can take the word away from you as quickly as you hear it and the enemy of your souls acts quickly and swiftly And you've been to church, you've heard the gospel, and within moments of being outside, it's all gone. Wiped from your mind. Can this happen to a believer? Yes. We will have some friends here this morning who are truly converted. But you've stopped listening to the word for your progress, for your sanctification for the deepening of your spiritual life, for the increase of your love for Christ, for your living closely with him and for him. You've stopped listening. The teaching ministry has no great interest. You still read the Bible at home to some extent, but you read it quickly. Yes, I've seen that before. It's not speaking to you. It's not convicting you. It's not moving you. It's not warming you, increasing your assurance. It doesn't thrill your soul anymore. Though you are converted, surprisingly, you've come to resemble the hardened pathway hearer. Your case is desperate. You could be heading for a great fall. 
You've probably started to compromise in different ways already. You probably attend far fewer Bible studies, far fewer gatherings. You make excuses easily. You snap at home and lose your cool. You're not the person you were. It's taking its toll already. Oh, dear friends, for a new year, go home and pray that you'll be moved once again. So the Spirit of God will take your heart when you read the Bible for yourself. Pray very much that its convicting statements will affect you. Its encouraging statements will warm your heart. You'll have views of Christ that the duties of the passage will be plain to you and your soul will be responsive so that you're interacting with the word and responding to it. Pray for life to come back. Pray for attention in the services and for benefits. Pray for love and for faith to grow within you. Can a Christian resemble the rocky ground hearer? Yes. A Christian who's proved the Lord can become superficial. Just the surface things. That's all I need. That's all I want. No. You're heading for a big fall. You want to take in the deep things of God. You need to be fed. You can't just coast superficially. Can a Christian resemble the seed sown among thorns? Yes, of course. The devil can tempt you with ambitions which you shouldn't have, which completely distracts you. The devil can tempt you, especially when you're tired, with entertainments and diversions and watching the box when it's just rubbish and nonsense and immoral things even. The devil can tempt you in any number of forms, the cares of this world, giving too much attention to things that you must give some attention to, you've got to keep the home straight, you've got responsibilities, but then the devil will tempt you to give too much care and too much attention so that your head is in the catalogues and you're dreaming of possessions and embellishments and better this and better that and you want notice you want to be seen want people to admire you the devil can choke you up with thorns and briars and you're heading for a big fall oh pastor you say is this a new year's message Yes, it is. Pray to be good ground, a fertile ground of the heart, listening to the word, as keen and as moved as you ever were. Pray for a new year. 
where your mind will not be infected with worldliness, where you'll have grace to resist these things, recognize them, push them aside, and be all together for the Lord. What a year if the Lord is with us and we can be fruitful for him and our homes can be happy and spiritual and great depths can be enjoyed and we can be a blessing to all around us. The parable of the sower, it applies to Christians as well as unbelievers. It's a New Year's meditation. Dear friends, I must close. The parable of the sower. And may in this coming year, God be gracious and call into his vineyard more sowers of the everlasting gospel.